Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and what matters this week is a fascinating new venue for the PGA Tour. The Byron Nelson Tournament will be played at the intriguing Trinity Forest layout in Dallas, and it will be a test unlike almost anything that the players face all year. The build-up to the tournament has focused almost entirely on the Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw design, and for those of us with an interest in architecture, that has been a real plus. So what can we expect from the tournament this week, and is there a chance that the lessons learned from experimenting with a different style of golf might help encourage professional golf to continue to show a more diverse and interesting side of the game? Joining me to discuss all this and more are two of the keenest minds in the games, one of them also a world-class player who's in the field this week from on the ground at Trinity Forest. It is, as always, a pleasure to chat with 2006 US Open champion and eight-time PGA Tour winner, Jeff Ogley. Jeff, big thanks for taking the time and looking forward to your thoughts about what we might see this week at Trinity Forest. Sounds good. It does sound extremely good. From here in Australia, one of Jeff's business partners at the OCCM Design Group, but he's also a former tour player, now commentator, analyst and critic, and according to at least one recent podcast review, has the media profile of a Kardashian these days. Mike Clayton, <laughs> based on that, perhaps you no longer need an introduction. Welcome. Do we need to send a check now? No, right. Uh, yeah, what was that about? Um, yeah, thank you. I'm <laughs> well, looking forward to it. Having, I think I've played the course a few times and I know Jeff's played it a lot, so good to discuss it. Seeing it's created such a fuss, really. Well, it kind of has. Which, and I, which is a good thing. It, it is a good thing. And Jeff, I wanted to come to you about this first. I mentioned in the intro the buzz from the outside seems to be mostly about Trinity Forest. Is that the chat amongst your PGA Tour brethren? Is the course the focus this week? It seems to be. Um because I've uh, been somewhat connected for them, I, with them. I mean, I've done a few little videos mm -hmm. for the tour website and stuff because they were a bit worried about... Well, go back to the start. Last year, during the tournament, they let the caddies play on the Monday after the Nelson last year between the Nelson and Colonial because we stay in Dallas-Fort Worth area for two weeks. And I guess a lot of the caddies came back scratching their heads saying, well, it's, it's, it's not what you boys are used to. I don't think anybody's going to like this. So... The kind of word spread around that we're going to some awful kind of landfill golf course that no one's going to want to play. What are they doing? Um, so they kind of asked me to do a little bit of damage control with a few of the guys. And if anybody asked, just to say, just tell them what I thought about the course. And I mean, not propaganda, but just I like the place. I think it's great. So um, the last month, there's been guys coming up saying, really, you like that course? I heard it was terrible. <laughs> um, already deciding that they don't like it before they went there. Um, so I've just just kind of uh, told him I think it's pretty good and keep an open mind and you might not love it the first lap around but I'm sure if you take a few laps you're going to start seeing what it's all about so it's definitely even inside the locker room been more talked about venue than any other normal tour event we've played for a long time which is fabulous Clates because apart from anything else the course rarely gets much talk in pre-tournament stuff except at the majors, doesn't it? So the course should be one of the players each week in professional golf, shouldn't it? It should be one of the factors that gets discussed. Well, it should, but if it's a bad course, it's often not discussed, which is because they're not allowed to discuss it. But it seemed, this thing's so different, it seems like it's, it's, it's not perhaps negative, but, but it's just people commentating on it, which is good because it's so different. Mm. Yeah, you're right, they talk about the majors and... You know how the course is set up, but they really discuss the architecture and the merits or demerits of it. Mm. And the thing is, um, for me, I'm, I'm not sure how it's set up this week, Jeff. I heard it's a little soft, but you know it's so different because it's all about short grass, not long grass. So, so it's a so it's a great thing for golf. I think that, uh, it's really not a whole lot different than playing golf in Australia. You know, that looks different, but the, the way the course plays is very different, very similar to the way lots of tournament golf courses play in the Sand Valley, Melbourne. You agree with that, Jeff? You play a lot of golf down here. Does it feel like that to you too? It is. Yeah, it is a similar. I mean, it. If we very rarely get the ball to bounce in the U.S., it's, it green is the color of the place, and most places are overwatered. And because they're overwatered, then greens get soft. And when greens are soft, they generally narrow the fairways because it seems so easy. Um, so we're very good with a 60 degree and what side of the green you miss it is kind of not as important when it's soft. And there's a few sort of elements that are there when you play in Melbourne that aren't there generally um, in a regular week. And this one amplifies all of those 
reasons, especially relative to what we normally play. So it's, I mean, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting, I think. How's the setup this week, Jeff? Have they allowed that element of the golf course to shine? I saw Stephen Bowditch, I think, posted that some of the grass around the greens was longer than he might have expected, but that the course was looking fabulous. Is the ground game going to be an option? It's going to have to, you're going to have to be playing some shots along the ground, I would think. Um, it's, look, it's not Hoy Lake in 2006. I mean, it's not burnt out and the ball's not running 100 yards, but it, relative to a normal PGA Tour event, the ball is running. And the way the greens are, the course doesn't rely on long grass as its defense. Its defense is um, angles and slopey greens, really. I mean, they're pretty wild greens, even for Bill and Ben. Um, because it, it's quite a relatively flat property. I mean, there's some undulation. There's kind of a big hole at one end of them, the par five. Um, but it's real defense is slope on greens and the angle you're coming from. And because there's no trees out there, ironically, it's called Trinity Forest, but there's no trees out there. Depth perception, you're going to have to get your perception on the ground. You're not going to be able to get your perception from anything in the air. So when that happens, it usually encourages at least bump and runs from 20, 30, 40 yards. I mean, I don't know if guys are going to be hitting long-running five irons that run 40 yards and to get onto the green. I don't think guys are ready for that. Um, and I don't think the setup's quite going to pr promote that. But definitely around the greens and inside 50 or 60 yards, guys are going to guys are going to put their 60s away a little bit more, more than they normally would and play a little bit on the ground. I would think it is, it's the only sensible way to play some of the shots because it's just too difficult if you play it in the air. Mm. Um, but none of us practice playing on the ground. I mean, even me, who I mean, I promote this style of golf a lot, but because I never have to do it, I don't really work on it. And I don't even have anywhere to work on it, really. Um, so it's quite a while since I've bumped a little six iron on the ground from 40 yards. So we'll see. <laughs> wow. No, that, that's an interesting point. As you say, I mean, if you've never called on to do it, why would you practice it? Clates, Jordan Spieth said something interesting this morning. He's got a connection with the course. Of course, he's a member there. I know he's been out there looking at the place whilst it was being constructed, like since before it was before it was built. He described it as American Lynx was the, the term that he coined to use it, where it looks quite lynxy, but for the most part you attack it from the air. I didn't realise you'd played at Clades. Does that make sense to you what he said? He compared it to Royal Birkdale. He was very careful to say he wasn't saying Royal Birkdale isn't a lynx, but that he yeah. found Royal Birkdale yeah. a more aerial golf course than a ground game golf course. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it does. And it's a, it's a I mean, to me, it the elements of the sand belt are width, uh, angles, strategy. There's a great short path for up the hill. I think, what is it, the fifth, Jeff, up the hill, a little short path for, and yeah. uh, short grass around the greens. So, so Jeff was saying that the long grass is not a hazard. Short grass is actually the hazard because mm -hmm. it, it kicks the ball away from the greens and you know, it leaves you with that smelly shot that you can, you can putt, you can play with the seven iron, you can play with the lob wedge, you can... So, yeah, it's a, a bit like Birkdale in that sense. I mean, Birkdale's the, the irony of that comment would be that if there's a criticism of this golf course, it'll be that it's kind of, I mean, some will throw around the unfair adjective. I mean, Birkdale, everyone would describe Birkdale probably as the fairest of the open courses. I mean, if, if you want to call, and I think unfair is a great word, golf should be unfair. If you, if you want to call St Andrews and Ross and George as the unfairest of them, then... Birkdale and Muirfield are probably the fairest of them. Mm. In that sense. So, so in that sense, it's you know it's not remotely close to being an unfair golf course. I don't think. I mean, there, there might be some quirky stuff that happens, but you're not going to get in a bunker and have to play backwards, or you know, you know it's not that sort of stuff. But um, I just thought it was interesting. It, it, in a way that sandbelt golf is interesting, you've got to think about where you're driving the ball. And it goes back to that old thing we bang on about, about, you know, there'll be that, someone will throw around that, well, you can drive it anywhere comment. When, in fact, it's true, you can drive it anywhere, but you can't, like St Andrews, you can't play the golf course mm. anywhere. You've, you've got to accurately drive it to the right part of the fairway to play from, which is a much different test from the regular, sort of professional golf test, which is hit the ball straight between the goalposts and play from there. Mm. So that you know, so that so the interesting thing to me is how many guys actually get what the course is about. I mean, I hope it's not judged by if it's a low score, it's not judged as being a poor course because the scoring's low or 
if the scores are high, it's not judged as being a bad course because the scores are high, or you know, the scoring should be irrelevant in terms of what happens this week, but how it plays and the sort of golf it promotes, really. What do you reckon about that, Jeff? You said I was intrigued to hear you say that. Well, I'm not intrigued to hear hear you say that people come to you to ask about this stuff because you've kind of become known as the architecture guy, you and Zach Blair, the, the architecture guys on tour. But the attitude amongst the pros, I've heard this, I've heard that. They're already, they're already ready to not like it because of what they've heard. Talk a little bit about that and what the players can expect and how that might affect how we view the tournament afterwards. Because I, what I want to talk about next is the potential impact this week could have. Oh, well, I mean, there's about 10 questions in there. But, there is. Let's start um, with the guys coming to you and the notion of, you know, all re- going there ready to not like it. Well, I think that's actually ideal for Trinity Forest because if you turn around a guy who thought he was not going to like it, then he really does like it. You know, they're not coming in not caring. They're caring. And caring is much better than not caring what, what they're going to see. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Um, also, I think there's a, you, you create this little bit of intrigue when, when a golf course gets talked about, whether great or bad, you still want to go see it because everyone's talking about it. There must be something about it. I mean, I couldn't get, wait to get to Kransersier in Switzerland because everybody told me how bad it was. <laughs> and I just wanted to go play it, right? And it's the same kind of thing here that that's the talk. And hopefully if they come here, if they don't like it before they start, and then it turns them a little bit and you're like, you know what? This is way better than I expected. I think that could turn positive for them. Um, as far as the strategic, the, the, uh, as Clates was hinting at, we, we kind of get directed how to play every week, generally. It's hit it, between the, hit it on the fairway and you're good. Miss the fairway and you're bad. Hit it on the green, you're good. Miss the green, you're bad. I mean, that's kind of the formula that they follow. That US Open kind of formula kind of dumped down a little bit. And we all get pretty good at that. I mean, some of us have good patches and bad patches, but generally we get good at that style of golf. And if if there is a more self-interested bunch of people than tour players, I'm yet to meet them. Um, If they think it's not going to suit the way they play before they come here, they're already automatically not going to like it because they just want it to suit them, which is fair enough, I guess, in one respect because it's their job and it's their livelihood and um, I've suffered from that and I'm sure Clates has suffered from that back when he was playing that we, even if you knew your course was decent, it was you still didn't love it if you couldn't play it properly. Um, so there'd be this expectation from some of these guys, if they hear it's crap and you've got to play the ball on the ground, they're already assuming that, that it's probably not going to suit them. So they're not liking it just on a guess. Mm. Um, but it's going to create discussion about why is this good? Because there's, there's a big chunk of the tour that would that understand... There's a, there's a bunch of guys who aren't going to get it, and that's fine. It's completely subjective, uh, subject, really, and if they don't want to like it, they don't have to like it. Um, there's going to be a bunch of guys like me and Zach Blair and a few other guys who are going to, who already love it or are going to instantly love it um, because we kind of look for different things maybe than the average guy. But the, the, the middle bunch of the tour, the kind of the big chunk of guys know that they're supposed to like a Crenshaw core course and the intrigue there, they might, uh, they'll look at it a little bit harder than they might a regular course just because they kind of know that Crenshaw core is good. They don't really get it, but they want to get it. Um, so I think it's, I think it possibly going to be one of the more interesting tournaments we've had for years, a regular PGA Tour event. I mean, forget who wins and the result and all that, just the, the golf course talk and the what this if this can open a few eyes to hey look there's different ways to do it and we do it every other week and you can build great golf courses on a landfill in the middle of Dallas on land that really didn't look that great before there was a golf course on it. Um, I think a lot of good things can come out of this. Yeah. Plus, I think there'll be a bunch of guys. Who, who will miss the strategy a little bit. They'll just blow driver all, all over the place, like Clayton says. They'll hit it everywhere. They'll have a rough score, but then at some, something will click at some point. You know what? That guy just hit a three-iron off the tee, and he went way over the other side of the fairway, and he was way back, and I didn't know what he was doing, but he hit a close in two, and I didn't, and I was 50 yards from the hole, but I had to go over a bunker or over a hill or a slope or something. Um, and that might click with a few guys too. Uh, 
because whether they get it or not on the surface, when you get to an architecturally significant hole, even a hole or a few holes, the guys get that it's good. I mean, guys know that Tenet Revere is good. They might not 100% know all the reasons why it's good, but they know it's good. They played 13 at the Masters, and they just know it's a good hole. Like, everybody knows on some level that a good hole is a good hole. And hopefully uh, there'll be a bunch of tour guys who know a little bit more and who are a bit more interested in the subject and golf courses like this when they leave this week. A lot of people, a lot of golfers, and certainly a lot of non-golfers, would be staggered to hear you suggest, Jeff, that most golf pros aren't interested in, nor are they particularly good judges of architecture. It's in, intriguing, isn't it, when it's your bread and But, of course, as you also point out, they don't play for fun either, do they, tour pros? It's, golf's a business. And as I said, it's completely subjective. I mean, just because I like it and Clates likes mm-hmm. it and Zach Lee likes it and a few other guys like it doesn't mean that everybody has to like it. Mm-hmm. Um but I think if it can illustrate what golf can be, I mean, golf can be more than a straight hitting contest. Like, there's more, there's more to the sport than that. And this, this course should show that a little bit, you know. And if it, it, it to my mind, it, it should make people enjoy golf more because, oh, there's a bit more depth to this game than I thought was just smash and drive a 320 up the middle of the fairway. Like, you know what, that left to right shot I've never really wanted to hit. Now it would be pretty handy around here. Stuff like that. I mean, it should if we play it every year for a bunch of years, make guys want to get better. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Clates, there's a bunch of stuff that Jeff touched on there. I suppose the one I wanted to ask you about was, you were talking about guys play 10 at Riviera, they don't know why it's good, but they know it's good in the same with 13 at Augusta. Is it simply the fact that whether you think about architecture or not, those golf holes stimulate the mind? You have to think before you hit. And the better the player may be, um, the more interesting that makes it. I'm trying to figure out why people know golf's holes are interesting, even though they don't know why they're interesting. Well, it's almost, I mean, I haven't seen Riviera 10 played for a few years. Last time I saw, I think was that year, Jeff, you were 2007, I think. So, and it seemed like, it seems everyone pretty much plays the hole the same way with the driving at it. They? Or, they, or they all go at the green. I mean, not, no one's laying up much, are they? No, not, not 10 anymore. anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. No. So I so I guess the intrigue for that hole is why is it so hard yet apparently so short and easy? And I see someone Billy Horschel I think was bitching about the green. So the green needs to be rebuilt. And I'm not I don't know I haven't seen it enough lately to know what. But I mean I, I know it's incredibly severe. But I mean that was a more interesting hole when there were lots of ways to play it, laying it up and pitching it. And, but as it's become easier in inverted commas because you can drive it on, then it's almost become harder because it's, you know, guys miss it, tend to miss it more in the wrong place and they can't get on the green from the right. And so I think holes like that, you know, the, the one hole that's, the one genre of holes that's benefited from the ball going further are the short par fours because they're much more dangerous now. Like the 10th at Royal Melbourne is a much more dangerous hole because guys can drive it on. I mean, no one ever got into trouble there, just a tie and a wedge, really. But now you can drive it on. There's, you know, the, the, the extra distance introduced much more of an element of danger to it. And I guess the same's happened at Riviera 10. And, I, and the fifth hole this week, Jeff, I mean, how do you, for those who haven't seen it, it's an uphill short path forward, a bunker in the hill, 25 or 30 yards short of the green, and an upturned green, which if you hit the edges, the ball will go off. So... Um, how, how are most guys playing that hole? Because, you know, that's in, in a way a version of Tenant Riviera, as in you stay on the tee and what do I do and where do I hit it? Yeah, time will tell, I guess. I mean, the green is kind of angled uh, front left to back right. You know what you I mean? So left side the right. of the fairway is the, the up the green. You can hit a driver over the bunker that's 20 or 30 yards short of the green, and if you can miss the green pin height of the right, you're perfect. Yeah, but left is no good, right? Well, left pin high is bad, but left 50 yards short is very good. Yeah. So, I mean, the two plays are three iron left, four, three or four iron left, left edge of the fairway and pitch it up the green, and it's relatively simple. But you're going to have a playing partner who's on the front right edge of the green, and he two puts a really easy birdie, and you, the next day you're going to hit driver. And the drive, there's quite a big area to hit the driver into to be good. But if you miss that big area, you're going to be awful, and you're going to hate the hole because you're just going to go from one side to the other a couple of times. Um that will be really interesting. It's a much bigger green than, say, 10 at Riv, but it's going to play the same sort of size because the angle yeah. it sits on. Um, 
We'll see. I mean, that'll be one of the more interesting holes. I mean, if people would want to camp on a hole, that that you'll see what people used to do at Riv. You'll see multiple ways to play that hole. You know, and some guys might just hit driver straight at the green and not get straight at the hole, and hit it over the green and just think the places think the hole is awful. But um, there will be a variety there. I don't know if anyone's. I mean, that's the sort of hole that. It's a perfect short par four, probably. It should turn out that way because even after four rounds, you're not going to know what the right way to play it is, you know? And that's always the best one. Um, but just quickly on Tenerife, the, the, the green is a lot more severe in the 20, than it was 20 years ago. And laying it up now, you can't hit the green from the layup. You, you just can't hit the green from where you're supposed to hit your forearm to. So that's one of the reasons why no one... You're more chance to make par if you hit driver than you are hitting an iron on Tenerife. But Billy Horse in that respect but i don't think that's completely a technology thing i think the green is kind of yeah it's got tilted of, yeah you kind of you might as well go for it because you're going to miss it for two anyway so you might as well be next to it for one as opposed to two um yeah. but you're right the short part fours are more interesting because we can drive it they're always the best when you can drive it over the green you know when not necessarily over the green but getting to the green isn't an issue then everybody's got that choice everybody's got the layup choice um what I think, the difference, the, the, the general philosophy with the golf, with, at least with tournament golf and tour golf and US Opens and stuff is just make it out and out difficult and make every hole just really, really hard. Whereas I think these great holes are willing to give up a par to a good player if, if that player is willing to give up his birdie. The Tenet Riv, it gives you a par theoretically if you just say, you know what, I don't need to make three, I'm just going to make four, and you can generally make four every day because you theoretically should anyway. Like 10 at Royal Melbourne. If you want to make yeah. four there, make four there every time. But as soon as you start trying to make three, that's when you might make five. And I think the this course, more than anything we would normally play on tour, exhibits that attribute the whole way around. If you're happy to make 18 pars, and that's your. And if you give up making birdies, you're probably going to be able to make 18 pars if you're a tour player without any problem. But as soon as you, that's not going to get the job done. So you're going to have to work out where you want to take it on. And as soon as you start taking it on, you're going to start finding some of these weird spots. And I think if you're willing to let a scratch player or a pro make par if he gives up making birdie, that's when you've got a chance to make it interesting. If you're out and out just trying to punish every bad shot, I think it's. It becomes an execution contest and not a thinking contest. Um, and and it's golf is best because it's both. You know, you, you need both. You, you need difficult stuff, but there's no reason it can't be easy to make par, but very difficult to make birdie. Um, that's the way I see it anyway. I, I think... Yeah, which is the essence of the, the, the road hole, really. I mean, that was a par five originally. I mean, that's the easiest hole in the world to make five, but it's also the easiest hole in the world to make eight. That's it. If you try to make five every time, you'll make five every single time yeah. for a decent scratch level golfer. But if, as soon as you start trying to make four, that's when, yeah, you make eight. It's, uh, that's really the whole point of the whole thing. And this course, Bill and Ben obviously get that. And the people who have built this course get that. Um, and hopefully some of the tour guys and all the best holes show you that attribute. Very rarely the best holes are just out and out difficult. I mean, every time, sometimes they are, and they're very rarely out and out easy. They're, I always pick on the 13 at the Masters because everybody knows it, but if you want to make five there as a decent player, you can make five every time for the rest of your life if you're willing to give up making a four. But as soon as you start trying to make four, you bring in all the carnage. It's uh, perfect architecture, really, because there's something for everyone. If you don't really feel like getting into trouble, you can stay out of it, but you're just not going to have a good score. Um, I just... That principle is all over this golf course and i think that is the principle that's often missing from kind of as i said tournament level competitive golf because everyone just sets their golf courses up to just be out and out difficult speaking of short par fours that 12th hole last week's kind of become a, bit of a magnet for controversy as to the i've played it but the merits of the 12th hole of the tpc courses has that worked out really i mean they changed it up after the first year i think but what did the guys make of that hole? Um, <laughs> what did you make of it, Jeff? You played it, of course. So. I think I never loved the one before. It was one of those odd holes on the course. I mean, 
to be fair, it's a great golf course. It has a lot of great holes. I mean, Pete Dye knew what he was doing. Um, tremendous course. Aesthetically, it's got a little bit too sanitized and a bit too neat, but the holes are great. 12 was always a bit of a weird one. It had these weird mounds up the left, and it was kind of blind and odd, and it didn't really make sense. So they kind of knew that. So I don't mind that they – I don't think anybody mind that they messed with it, but I think they missed an opportunity because I don't think they did a great job at it. But – the tour likes to spend money there, so I'm sure we'll see another version of it soon. Maybe they should spend some on the clubhouse, Jeff. It looks a little understated <laughs> for the site there. It's uh, Man, is that something to look at. Uh, let, let's go through, Jeff. I wanted to get your thoughts on specifically about Trinity Forest because what you've outlined there, the, the talk of what you're saying is going to unfold, fantastic and intriguing as a player to be confronted with that, or those of us who like that kind of golf. But as a spectator, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I can imagine camping by that short par four and seeing not only some interesting options, but maybe the odd tantrum, which is always a fantastic thing to see at the golf course. What other holes should we be watching out for in particular at Trinity Forest this week? Well, it's got a couple of pretty interesting par threes. I mean, look, there's a lot of great holes. There's a double green early in the round, um, early on the both nines. Um, but the two, I think eight is a very interesting par three because the longest you could make it would be 138. That's, mm. I think. And it's downhill. Um, so it's going to play 120 or so. So it's going to be a, basically a sandwich, maybe a very little pitching wedge for the whole tour. And But it's got this crazy green with kind of this ridge up the middle and these two, you've got to, you've got to be on the correct side of the green. So it's, it's a pretty small target from that far. And if you miss the green, you're going to have a lot of problems. But you really shouldn't be missing a green from 120, not as a tour guy. Um, that'll be pretty interesting. And in that I'm, I'm interested to see what the guys think about that because – if there's one complaint from the guys on tour that's more common than not is that the new par threes and the new courses are all way too long. Mm-hmm. Um, we very, very often have four par threes that are three, four, two irons, hybrids. I mean, they're crazy, crazy long modern par threes. And this is a kind of a throwback. I mean, you don't see 130-yard holes very often, and they are universally loved. Uh, everybody loves a short par three, even if it's crazy difficult. That'll be interesting. I think the seven and the seventeenth is the other part three, depending on where they play the tee. I don't think they're going to play it too long. There's this big wild kind of reverse tier green. So the, the front tier is the high tier, and then it mm. goes down to the back. Um, massive green, and each tier is quite big. But if you land it more than a couple on the green on the front tier, you're going to go over the back tier. So that's one of those holes where. You're going to have to land it kind of short and left of the green, which is out of our normal comfort zone on tour, like landing a shot off a green on purpose to have the ball stay on the front tier. And, and the back tier shots are going to be interesting. A guy's going to try to fly it all the way to the back. Are they going to try to land it on the front and, and have it roll and go down the down the tier and stuff? There'll be some fun, there'll be some fun golf watching there. Um, there's a great par five on the back too. I can't remember what number it is. But it's a really, it's kind of a blind second shot. Guys can get there. But the, it, it's kind of high, about 100 yards short of the green, and then really kind of steep down to the hole. And there's this one little bunker that's in a great spot, I don't know, 60, 70 short of the green, which is kind of right where you want to lay it up, which is obviously good architecture, making you kind of, to get to the good layup spot, you have to kind of go near the hazard. You've got 100 yards of fairway left of it. But the further left you go, it runs down this big hill, and you, and you end up at a horrible angle with this 80-yard wedge that you very, very difficult to get it on the green. Um, that one's going to drive guys crazy, but I think that'll be a pretty interesting one to watch because there'll be our normal MO is if we can get to the green in two, we just pull three out and go. But that one, that one's going to take a little bit of thought, and you'll get it. You might get quite some quite long conversations between players and caddies on that layup because guys are just not going to know where to hit it at all. Caddies are going to be arguing with their players and players are going to be arguing with their caddies. I think that'll happen a few times, but that one especially, I, I can't remember the number of it, but it's in the middle of the back nine. It's a great hole. Would you out, you? It's a, and it's a blind second, right? I mean, the second's completely blind down the hill, right? Yeah. It's a blind second, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's one of those, the last 60 yards goes kind of straight. If you get it to within 60 or 50 or 60 of the green, the ball can run all the way down under the green. Like, it's quite link style in that respect. Yeah. Um, there's a semi-blind layup. You can see where you're trying to hit it, but you won't see where your ball's going to finish. And you can't see the bunker, which is always 
unnerving. Even though the fairway is 100 yards wide, the bunker is kind of where you want to be and it's, it's a little unnerving. So you're always giving it a little bit more air than you should and you give it a little bit too much air and it's going to catch the hill and go way to the left and you're going to have problems. So um, interesting stuff. Seven's a great par five too. It's one of these, uh, it's right along the fence and there's junk all the way on the left-hand side of the hole. But you can hit it anywhere really off the tee. But if you want to hit it on the green and hit it close on the green, you really have to take on the, the junk on the left. Like, And it's junk. Like, it's bad news. So the only real way you're going to make a three or have sort of a decent putt at it is if you take on some pretty severe junk. And guys generally are going to be uncomfortable with that at first and push it out to the right, and then they're not going to make birdie. And they're going to scratch their head and say, this is a terrible hole. But really all you needed to do was, like, <laughs> hit a world-class golf shot with, that was very brave. So, um, But it's not so severe that, guys, no one's going to do it. You know, So it's, it's interesting. I don't know how it's going to play out, but it's interesting all the way around. And it's one of those courses that you, you remember 18 different holes. Um, because they're all pretty different. So, I mean, the aesthetic is not maybe to some of these, to some guys, well, to generally into American golf's kind of aesthetic wheelhouse because it's quite bright. It's going to have a brownish look to it. But uh, it's got great holes on it. What you're outlining just sounds intriguing to me, Jeff. As a spectator, Clates, I can't. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't watch all hours of the... PGO to a telecast most weeks. I reckon I'm going to be glued to the TV, Clates. It sounds phenomenal, doesn't it? Watching these guys, as Jeff says, have to think. There's no point just asking them to hit golf shots because they're really, 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 really good at that, aren't they, Clates? You need to make them think as well to make it interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I guess the aesthetic Jeff's talking about, the thought that jumped into my head is the quintessential, typically aesthetic American course would mm. be Muirfield Village probably, but you know, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I'm not sure Jeff will know better than I because he knows Texas better than I do, but um, there's talk that, you know, it's a long way out of town, it's hot, it's not very spectator-friendly, you know, there's nowhere to stay in the shade. It's, so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, what the on-the-ground numbers are like in terms of spectators because the old tournament venue, I think, was pretty popular, Jeff, wasn't it, the Los Colinas thing? It was, it was. I guess it was kind of more towards the DFW area, so between the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it it was in the middle of a big mass of population and relatively easy to get to, I think. Any number of freeways that you can take in Dallas, and I think a lot of them went past there, you know. So, um, And it had been there a long time, and familiarity, uh, spectators and players, people like what they know. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how many people come out here. It won't be, unfortunately, it's going to be one of those courses that the atmosphere will disappear because there's no trees and there's nothing to catch the noise and... Um, it might feel a little bit windblown like some Lynx golf courses can in Scotland. You feel like you kind of lose the crowd noise a little bit. You lose the atmosphere because the wind kind of takes it away. But um, It's always been one of the more highly populated tournaments from a spectator perspective. They've always had a big uh, bit of a party vibe, a bit of a mini version of Phoenix. Um, so I think a lot of those guys, they don't really care where it is. They just want to do the Nelson and they want to go have a few beers and watch a bit of golf and see Tiger Woods or whatever case may be and see some girls walking around in pretty dresses and that's their thing and they probably don't even mind where it is, a lot of the people who would normally go to one of these things. So I think it'll go all right. It's close to downtown, relatively close to downtown Dallas, which I assume a lot of people live near downtown Dallas. So I think there's still a ton of population that can get here. But I think going back to your point, Rod, I think it'll be interesting for I mean, to, to watch on TV, I mean, I mean, you know, as important as the spectators on the ground are, it's probably more important how many people watch on TV. And there'll be a lot of architecture geeks, although we're not exactly overpopulated in the golf world, but there'll be a lot of architecture geeks will be watching it this week. And guys who wouldn't normally bother to turn on and watch the average PJ Tour course, which they've got no interest in. But, you know, I think that'll be an interesting part of their audience. So that begs the next question, Jeff, which I asked as part of my 10-part question earlier on, was the importance of going to this venue for the future, just the concept of it and and uh, this notion of educating people about the importance of architecture and how much more interesting golf can be when it's played on course. Well, certainly that's what we think, as you rightly point out, people are entitled to like whatever sort of golf style of golf they like. But do you feel it's important for the tour to 
take golf to these kinds of courses? And can this have an impact um, in the future? I mean, if, if all the players walk away this week and say they hate it, it's unlikely that you'll get much more of this, isn't it? Well, maybe. I think the important thing is the recognition that the golf course is so much more important to the golf tournament than people think. I just, it becomes just kind of the playing field that you, that, that you turn up to and all the action happens on top of the playing field and the playing field really doesn't have anything to do with it. It's the players that create the drama. Well, I, if you, if you're interested in this stuff, like guys like Clayton and I are and a ton of other guys, well, maybe not a ton as Clayton's reference, but um, you start noticing a pattern that the great, architecturally significant golf courses create great drama and great winners who win the tournaments there great people great players win at riviera great players win at pebble beach great players win at augusta great players win at st andrews and they do it in a fashion that's very entertaining to watch always um it's surely in the tour's best interest ponavidra in that respect and everyone involved with who can benefit out of tournaments like that that this style, and it doesn't have to be this style of links in America and Brown and running golf, but it has to be strategically fulfill kind of those principles I was talking about, like those great courses that I just mentioned do. And you get you get more, you get the better golfers in the field, the cream rises to the top, the golf they play is more attractive than at a less interesting golf course. And you get a ream of great champions, and that's what people want. I think uh, if... If that can get recognised out of this, the best thing that could happen here is, I don't know, Jordan Spieth beats Dustin Johnson in the playoffs, or whatever, or whatever the top guys are on the field, Jason or something. That and the, and the leaderboard looks like one of those, you know, who's who of the PGA Tour by the end of it, which it really could because it's that style of course that you're going to have to have just a little bit more than we do normally. Um, if that gets recognised, that maybe it was the course that helped that happen. And if we can, if it develops a pattern here at Trinity Forest, you know, all the great players seem to win there, you know, hopefully that gets noticed because it's, it's in everybody's interest to have golf more interesting from a playing perspective, from a watching perspective, from a promotion perspective. I mean, it's just the great courses just create great tournaments and great champions. And I think it doesn't have to be bouncing and running links. I mean, you, I mean, Augusta isn't a, bouncy brown links you know i mean it was kind of designed that way a little bit i guess in the good old days but it still finds the cream in the field um riviera finds the cream in the field pebble beach tends to find that i mean it's less so in the pro-am but when you play to the u.s open the cream is always there at the end like it's not an accident and they're all three completely different golf courses the old course always finds the best golf in the world pretty much every time it's and they're all completely different from an aesthetic perspective but they all tick the right boxes from a strategic perspective and a, and a finding the guy with the most complete game that week in the complete physical game and mental game. And I think, I mean, I'm not trying to like say that this course is the best thing ever, but it's a great course and it exhibits those traits that those great courses exhibit. And if it can create tournaments like that, if it can get noticed that, you know what, maybe the golf course has a little bit more to do with this. Maybe these nutcases, Jeff and Zach Blair, when they bitch and moan about that stuff, there's there's some merit to the quality of the golf course in the whole, just in everything to do with the golf tournament. Mm. Um, if it can, if something like that can come out of it, or at least even a hint or a sniff of that a little bit, I think uh, we've got more chance to see it in the future. Um, and as I said, it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be a, a link style course in America. It could be a green. Also, like as I said, like Augusta does it. I mean, Riviera is on Kukuya grass. The ball doesn't run anywhere, and it plays great. You know, so um, it can, if it can, kind of get noticed that you know what these. It might not be to my eye, but we had a great tournament, and great people are winning there, and great players played well there, and it was fun to watch great players play well there. Then I think we've got a chance to see a bit more interesting architecture down the road. Well, last week was a good. Sorry, sorry, Rod. But last week was a good example of that. I mean, I mean, that's always been great to watch that tournament because you know it's a, there can be a train wreck at the end, but the holes are interesting to watch how guys play them, and you know, and they always get. Last week showed again. They always get such an amazing variety of winners there, guys. Who, I mean, what was he the shortest hitter all week on the yep. 
for the driving stats that he yep. won the tournament. Yep, well and truly. Mind you, he was the sh- but he was a short tether, but he was still ten yards longer than where Greg Norman used to. Anyway, <laughs> right. you can't, yep. can't fake it. Last week, last week you last week you have to be able to move the ball both ways, and you have to take your medicine when you have to take your medicine. You have to lay up when you have to lay up. You have to be smart, and you have to play really well in every aspect. I mean, it's as I said, it's. Aesthetically, not 100% down my street anymore. It's a bit too neat. But the golf, it gets people to play and the, the champion, the winner finds. I mean, it, as you said, and the drama is always incredible. I mean, it's a, it's even a big win. As you say, with a finish like that, holes coming in, it's just a – last week's a good a, a good cause. And, and it should be for the best tournament on tour. Of course, yeah. And, uh, eight shots could actually disappear over the last four or five holes there legitimately, and there's not many places you could say that about uh, in that sense, without naming names, Jeffs, I think most of us who've developed some sort of interesting course architecture have had a light bulb moment. Generally, comes with a combination of a course in front of you that you don't otherwise understand, and somebody next to you who's got some understanding explains why you might be liking it. Have you had that impact on someone that you can think of on tour? Do you know what I'm talking about there, where you've sort of said pointed yeah. something out, and the guy's gone, "Oh yeah," and then from there they've become more interested in the, the playing field. It's. You know what? I think there's a little bit more interest now than maybe there was ten years ago. Um, there's this, obviously it's been a great uh, period for architecture the last twenty years with Doak and Bill and Ben and Gill and some really good stuff getting built, and it's clearly loved by everyone who goes to them. There's a bit more of a a bit more of an interest, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't say a massive interest, a little bit more. I don't know if I've influenced anyone. I mean, guys will ask me. Seriously, you like this whole why, you know, and I'll explain why I think it's good and whether they might go away thinking Jeff's a nutcase, what's he talking about, you know? Um, I don't know. I think, to be fair, I never got it when I was younger. I I didn't get it until I saw a place like St Andrews and I'd been, I guess I'd read a couple of books and stuff and somebody, like, you'd hear story about 16 at St Andrews is you can do the little narrow way up the right and have a good angle or go the wide way and... All of a sudden, it just became really obvious when I played a few places like that. It's so obvious at St Andrews, if your eyes are open, that I started being able to see it everywhere else. It's really not... It, it, as simple a concept as it seems to be once you get it, it it's not that simple before you get it. Mm. I really don't... It, it's it's kind of hidden a little bit because it's too obvious. Um, and a lot of these guys... I only got it when I played those places. There's a lot of these guys who just grew up a nice golf courses, but with no architectural significance. And to them, if the greens are rolling good and the fairways are good, then they're happy. And they've really played majority of their golf on courses like that. So they haven't had the opportunity to have those light bulb moments, you know, um, which is nothing against anybody, right? right? It, it, as a, this is a this is one of those. Things, I mean, it probably hurts my golf a little bit that I'm as into it as I am, you know, because I'm critiquing golf courses the whole time as opposed to just playing them. But um, there's an aspect of it that can help you golf too, if you understand what the architect's trying to get you to do. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I like to think guys are into it. Like this week, it'll be talked about a lot. You know, there'll be debates in the locker room, and there'll be guys run walking in, throwing their shoes in their locker, saying this place is a dump. I'm never coming back. And there'll be other guys coming in, and going, "This is incredible. Why don't we do this more often?" It, the best part about this tournament is that it'll get talked about. And as you said, the lead up to this point, everyone's talking about the course. Obviously, the play will take over and everyone will start talking about the players when they're playing. But the kind of aftermath, I think the golf course will be a big discussion and I think that's a good thing. Speaking speaking of players, the field this week is frankly probably a little light on. Jordan Spieth is a local and he's playing, of course, we know that, and he's the highest ranked player in the field. I think Matt Kuchar, Jimmy Walker, Hideki Matsuyama, Sergio... But not a not an incredibly deep field. How important might this be next year? It, it, it's got to be a success this year, I'm guessing, for other players to perhaps be attracted next year. Jeff, how big a role does the course that events being played on play in a player's decision to go and tee up in a tournament? More than the the average guy would think. I think um, there's obviously a lot. The biggest influence is date. Mm-hmm. Um, last week, obviously, was a tournament that everyone has to play. Um, the week before Charlotte's a tournament that most guys want to play. Next week's Colonial, which is a tournament that people like, although that field's been getting a bit light on. Memorial's in two weeks, and everybody loves playing Memorial when they're in it, like of the, of the guys that are going to move the needle field depth-wise. Um, 
it's right in the middle of a good bunch of tournaments and for a lot of guys something has to give so maybe the one in the middle gives you know you play charlotte players you take a week off you play colonial memorial it's it it's it's no more complicated than that for a lot of guys it's just it just fits into their calendar well and this just fit in for their week off um but well and on that, next year, the Players' Championship won't be here. The Players' Championship's going to May. So this date will be a little bit more accessible. It's hard to play. If you went deep in contention last week, it's hard to back it up and play again. That's like playing the last round of a US Open. It really is. Um, less so last week because it wasn't quite as fiery as it can be. But it's still a bit of a mental beatdown. And if you played two or three weeks in a row, it's, it's just timing to take this week off. But next year, that won't be an, an impact. So we'll see on that front. But... When we go, when there's a new tournament, and, and one of the newer kind of new tournaments, in my time anyway, was Charlotte. And they came along with a good course, with good player services. You know, they just ticked every box. They, they looked after the caddies. The, we got Mercedes courtesy cars, like everything. They just ticked every single box. But everyone said, you know, Quail Hollow is a great course. You've got to go play that next year. If you didn't play it, you've got to go play next year. So the course is pretty influential, I think, more than guys think. Um, as I said, there's a lot of other factors, but if everybody leaves here and goes to Colonial next week and starts talking about it and says, you know what, if you didn't play last week, you should go. That place is pretty cool. Um, or the, the reverse could happen and everyone could leave and say, this place is a disaster. Don't ever go back. And that would be rough. But, um, the talk in the locker room, guys talk about golf courses a lot with not respect to the kind of ranking architectural significance side, but whether they enjoyed playing it and whether they thought it was a good tournament. Um, I think uh, golf course is pretty important in their decision, even if they don't think it. Yeah. Just on that, a lot of non-golfers and recreational golfers, Jeff, would wonder why you can't go and tee it up every week as a professional. Why can't you play five, six, seven weeks in a row? What's so hard about it? It's just golf, isn't it? I do it every Saturday. Uh, yeah, I'm sure well, you can. <laughs> yeah, you can, I guess. I mean... At my age with three kids at home, it's not really the right thing to do. But um, when you're young, I guess you can. But a golf tournament week is a seven-day week, really. I mean, you can take out Monday for a travel day or whatever. But, I mean, it's a six-day week where it's pretty full-on. Um, it's not like just going to your normal golf course and playing around and having a beer and leaving. I mean, it's it's traffic on the way in. It's security it's like the autographs and the posing for the selfies and then hitting balls with 700 reps and coaches coming for their comments every minute and then you go chip and there's another bunch of coaches and reps and then the reps on the putting green then you play in a group of four with everyone's got two or three hangers on and it takes five and a half hours for your practice round and that's that's just tuesday done <laughs> and you got a wednesday so i mean it can be done and if you mm. if you do it smart and you don't you don't kind of overwhelm yourself and you make sure you have a few afternoon naps and stuff like that, you can play six or seven weeks in a row, but it's more of a beat down than people think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is. A, it's a so you wouldn't recommend my 1984 where I played 23 out of 24 <laughs> weeks in 17 countries? That would be it's a bit much. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. I remember we played the first President's Cup I played. No, it wasn't the first. One of them, anyway. Ishikawa, it was his first one. Greg gave him the pick. And he was on his ninth of 17 in a row. Wow. And, and the President's Cup's like playing three tournaments, right? I mean, it's just serious. Um, yeah. Pressure filled. And you wake up Monday morning, it's like the last thing you want to do is go play golf. He was going back to Japan to play another eight in a row. Like, it was just uh, outrageous. Okay. I, with, I don't know how golf do that. With media coverage like just, Tiger Woods for Ishikawa. That's the other thing about that, Jeff. He goes back to Japan and, you know, he's got the chair after every round to sit and take the questions from the press because there's so much interest in him. So uh, even harder for him. I would have thought. Had These you, are first world, first world problems. I'll very, though, much, so. I'll very much so. Yeah. Most people work 50 weeks, most people work 50 weeks in a row yeah. without a break. So How would you play, Clay? Just out of interest. That 1984. Do you reckon it affected the way well, you played? I won three of them. So it was, I won the Tasmanian Open, the Korean Open, and the, I won in Europe on the timing. So, so I actually played really well. But mm. on the week off, was Jamie Crow and I, who's Jamie Crow, Tom Crow started Cobra, we left Japan and we flew to San Diego to stay with Tom and Kelly Crow, Jamie's parents. And on Monday morning in San Diego, Jamie and I were on the range at, Sa at San Diego Country Club hitting balls. I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> so, so I think I played golf every day, every day on the day off anyway. So, look, I played well. And in fairness, it was 
I wa- that was my second year in Europe and I wasn't exempt. So that was when you had to keep playing. If you made the cut, you kept playing. Because if you didn't, if you took a week off, you had to go back to Monday. So, but I won in about the fourth week over there. So that kind of problem went away. But I mean, we were up in Asia and every, everyone played every tournament in Asia. I mean, what, what were you going to do? Go home? So, no, no one went home. So you just, everyone just played nine or 10 weeks in a row there, including Zach Blair's dad. Jim Blair was playing up there. And people talk about Tiger being the first guy to invent the, playing the hybrid or the, or the wood out of the rough around the greens. Zach's dad was chipping forwards around Asia in 1982, so he was the first guy to invent that. So it, it was a system where if you made the cut, you kept playing. So guys who weren't exempt, just if you were playing well, you had to play every week. Okay. And what else were you going to do? We weren't, you weren't playing for much money. You are a long way from home. You, might as well, you, know, you could go and sit in the Holiday Inn for a week and do nothing. So you might as well go and play. So we all played, really. I mean, VJ played as much as I did. Peter Fowler played as much as I did. So... so you know, it was guys, young guys a long way from home, as Jeff said, with, you know, I'm sure it's different with kids, as he has, but none of us had kids, so it was just play golf. We loved playing, so we played. Mm. But, it was, you know, it was crazy. It was, you know, it was a mad, it was a mad amount of golf to play. Mm. But we loved it and, you know, didn't feel like it was an endurance or an onerous thing to do. And, of course, you haven't stopped clothes. You still play just every day, don't you? I mean, you for different reasons, obviously, now it's no longer... Your livelihood in that sense, but uh, you are what we generally know as a golf nut. You're uh, you're addicted to the game. Well, I play more than other guys. It was interesting. We played a little tournament in Cottesloe last week. The Cottesloe Open, where they have you know 15 seniors. So Stuart Ginn played, Terry Gale, Mike Harwood, Peter Fowler, uh, Brian Jones, and uh, I think if you if you my observation of the guys who stop playing is they play awful. They just can't play at all anymore. They can't hit the ball. They can't hit it anywhere. They just play horrible golf. And I kind of refuse to, when I get old, be a bad player. I, I'm, I'm just not. When I'm 80 years old, I, I still want to be decent. So, and, and I think if you if you if you want to be decent when you get in your 70s and 80s, then you've got to play. You have to keep playing. You can't just not play for six months. I, I played with grades at Wayne Grady the other day, and Grades is he, he's in that camp. He, he hadn't played golf for six months, so he can't hit the ball anymore. I'm sure you know if he went and grounded out in the range and wanted to get it back, he could. But mm. I, I just refuse to be a bad player, like a horrible player. I'm just not going to do that. So, do, do you play? Well, much that's in, my plan anyway. Yeah, well, you, you're going all right so far. Do you play much in non-work weeks, Jeff? You know what? I've uh, <laughs> it comes and goes like. I should. I always play. I mean, the last four or five years, I've been hopeless. I've just I keep walking past, like getting stuck on the range. Um, I mean, I go to the golf course almost every day, but the range is a trap. And as I was as Clates was talking, um, it's good for your golf to play lots of rounds of golf because in a round of golf, every shot has a little bit of a consequence to it, whereas on the range, there's no consequence. Um, so when you're always hitting shots with consequence, you're always kind of kind of exercising the muscle that's really important, which is just hit the ball where you want to when you need to. Um, and that muscle gets exercised a lot better when you're playing golf with a scorecard in your pocket. Um, but to answer the question, I don't probably play enough. Um, I hit balls a bit more than I should, and I don't but I go to the golf course every day or pretty much every day like what else am I going to do mm. like kids go to school and I go to the golf course I mean that's I'm a professional golfer I just love being there I just love everything about the game I just love playing it and Clates is 10 times my love for the golf game so and it's more fun for him now because he doesn't have to putt three footers so he just <laughs> just just rakes it back and goes to the next hole who wouldn't want to play golf like that and I and I never I mean I mean the one of the well it's, it's a big issue for me. It's not a big issue for many other people. Is that because the ranges are so short in Australia and Australians are so stingy? The, the quality of range balls is horrific in Australia. They've all got those seventy-five percent balls that fly like wounded ducks. So I never hit balls. I mean, I can't. I mean, I, I hit a bag of balls at Christmas time, but I never hit a ball on the range. I just go and play golf, mm. and uh, you know that, that's uh, enough to keep it reasonable. And, and you're right. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. It's funny when you play a tournament, you do have to whack those three footers in. You, 
you know, I got most of them in, but I got in the seventeenth hole. I was doing all right and had like a two footer. I knew I was going to miss it. It was, you know, it was it was it was kind of like that Jason Duffner putt on eighteen the other day. You almost you'd taken so long over that little short putt at seventeen. You 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 knew he was nervous and you you knew there was a chance he was going to miss it. And sure enough, I jerked it off the left edge. It was a putt that you would never miss on Saturday morning with your mates. But which is why golf's fun because you know you put a scorecard in your pocket and play even a little tournament like that and. Two footers, whilst they're not fun, that you know, you you, they actually are fun because you jerk it and you go, wow, that was you know, that's what real golf is. And, and it's kind of fun to jerk them in too. Sometimes, yeah, you know, there are lots of times when you <laughs> it's more fun to jerk it in than jerk it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just kind of Baseball jerk too. a few in, but yeah. <laughs> but what, what a horrible, what a that was a, that was a miserable three part Duffer did on Sunday, wasn't it? Wow, you kind of because he played so well. Yeah, it becomes a thing though, right? I mean. It just when you you're not making any and everybody's talking about you're not making any and you hit the ball so well and you've kind of you've come through unscathed a little bit because he putted quite well last week in that for seventy five yeah. holes and he gets to eighteen he's a bit unscathed and I mean it's just you're just demons you know what tour golf's like you just at some point if you've got any demons in there they're going to come up on the seventy second hole when you when you've got a big check to to make it's like sad shame for him because he works hard at it. Um, it's just, and, it's just that's why golf's great. Not everybody gets everything, you know. He got the ball striking gene, but he didn't get the putting gene, you know. And he's got to work a bit like Adam, you know. Other guys get the putting gene, they don't get the ball striking gene. Yeah, which is the Bob Charles, and yeah, that's a, that's a, what I guess with, with, with Tiger and Nicholas, the two guys that had them both, the putting gene and the ball striking gene. Seems that way. In our time, I think Ernie Els was pretty close. I, I didn't see Ernie Els have many weaknesses when I played with him either. Um, but, uh, yeah, not many. I mean, look at Rory. I mean, he's a nice putter, but he's not a great putter, is he? I mean, Jack and Tiger are great putters and great ball strikers. There's not many who are great at both. Um, pretty rare. But that's that's why they're the two best of all time. So, I mean, that's what's good about this game. Everyone's got their little angle that they can kind of find their way to get a good score. And to go back to Trinity, this is the sort of course that will allow people to find their strength and play to their strength. Quite often, we, if your strength isn't driving at 320 up the fairway and making lots of 20-footers, then you really kind of you don't have a chance to show your, show your ability. So this is going to give everybody some sort of chance, which last week does too. As you said, you've got, you got a short hitter winning. Next year, you might get Dustin Johnson winning, you know, like, it's uh, well, Jason won a couple of years ago with a hitting two on three hundred up every fairway. Like, it's uh, that's what's great about it. And this course will should give everyone a chance to to show to play to their strengths. And I was thinking another one was Sebi, perhaps you know. But um, the fun thing about watching Sebi at Royal Melbourne and watching and if Sebi had played Trinity Forest was Jeff was talking about you can't get close to the bad angle. The fun thing was about watching Seve at Royal Melbourne was that he could get close in the bad angle because he could play that incredible high soft shot that most guys don't have. So, you know, that's almost the most fun about watching golf at a place like Trinity Forest is watching the guys who are who are really playing well, who, who, who can get it reasonably close to hole from the wrong place when most guys can't. And and that was what that was why, you know, uh, it wasn't a coincidence that Seve won it. St Andrews, Royal Melbourne, and Augusta, you know, th- two of Mackenzie's best courses, and St Andrews, which was his favourite course. That you know, the guys who could get close in the wrong place were also the guys who had a, you know, that was the added advantage they had was that Mackenzie wasn't forcing you to go to one place, but he, if you went to the wrong place, then he forced you to hit a great shot if you went for it. So that's a bit of the element of Trinity Forest too this week that'll be fun to watch. I think. But that's the that's kind of when this guy sort of golf course becomes comes to its own right because that guy who is willing to give up maybe the the easy par and to try to make birdie if he's good enough then he can get away with making some cavalier decisions that most of the field can't um and that's his advantage because he's so good at everything you know and that's that's why this sort of course is fine the best that was uh yeah i mean sorry i mean I'll, I'll, you know, tenth at Royal Melbourne. I'm, I'll never. I've written about this a lot. I'm, I watched Seve play that whole four days in 1978, and he he was such. A, I mean, people think he was a bad driver. You could have put a blanket over his ball 
in that sandy rough just over that left bunk. He drove it there intentionally every day because he knew he could blow it out of that muck up there by the bunker, which for those who haven't seen it, it's just covered in heath and sand. And he got it within three or four feet every day. But, I mean, I mean, no one was willing to try that shot because they, they, they wouldn't take their chances on getting the ball on the green from where he drove it. So, so that was the, you know, there was a hole that was incredibly fascinating to watch a great player play. And he, did, he didn't aim at the fairway at all because he knew he could get close to the hole from the, from the junk. And he did. Hmm. You know, so, so, I mean, you know, you would never intentionally aim the ball into that patch of hazard up, well, p- patch of rough up left of that bunker, but he was good enough to hit it. One, one, he was good enough to hit it there. And two, he was good enough to get it up and down from there. So, so you know, that's the fascination of watching guys like that play. And that's what great architecture does. That was uh, almost 10 full minutes of just the two of you talking. I hope the listeners enjoy that as much as I did because I just made a point of shutting up then because uh, like being a fly on the wall. Jeff, to finish up with, state of your own game and uh, not expectations for this week, but it feels like you're very engaged with the course. Of I suspect you're also going to be somewhat distracted because everybody's going to be coming to you saying, how do you play the fifth hole, Jeff? I've made three <laughs> bogeys there so far. You've shown some flashes in the last couple of weeks and there's been some disappointing stuff too. What's going on with Jeff Ogilvie's game? You know, it's coming around. I obviously was hinting at it before. I've just spent so long chasing my uh, chasing my um, tendency, if you know. What I mean. My tendency was always to lose it right. A bit like similar to Tiger's driver, it goes to the right. I've, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of working out why does it go bad when it goes bad. And I went down there about four or five years ago and I put my head up a couple of times. But it's um, I'm kind of done. I've kind of worked out everything technically that why it used to go wrong and why I couldn't, I could never fix it on the course. When it started going wrong on the course, I couldn't fix it. And, and that when I was a kid, I could. And then for the for 10 or 15 years, like I was great, but if it went wrong, it went wrong and it kept going wrong and I hated it. So I've been kind of digging holes on the range for a while. Um, but I've kind of cured myself of that in the last few weeks. And so there's some good signs coming back and, um, I feel like I'm going to start playing some pretty decent golf. But, you know, a golf's tricky. When you think you've got a handle on one part of it, then another part of it goes wrong. But it does feel pretty decent. And as I said, I just have to start playing a few more rounds and um, see the ball go in the hole and see it kind of go where I'm looking a few times. And it doesn't take long. I mean, sometimes you can – one swing sometimes can turn a year around um, – or one stretch of holes, you know, three or four holes in a row, all of a sudden, oh, uh, something clicked there. I don't know what it was, but I, I like it. Um, that feels around the corner. I've had a few little moments of, wow, that was that was pretty good. So we'll see. We'll see. It feels decent. Hopefully I'll be pretty engaged, obviously, on a course like this because it's interesting me quite a lot. So um, Make a difference, do you think, Jeff, one way or the other, being excited and stimulated by the course? I think it, that definitely helps. Um, it's all about, I mean, without getting too kind of weird, it's all about just kind of being present and playing the shot that's in front of you, right? Um, and when the course in, will engage you, you, that's what you're, that's what the course is naturally doing that for you. It's kind of engaging you into this shot, right? I've got to hit this shot properly. Where do I want to hit it? That's where I want to aim it. All right, this is how far I want to hit it. Hit it as opposed to just kind of pulling the driver out when you're walking off the previous green because you know you're just going to try to smash the driver up the fairway. It should be a good thing to kind of keep me uh, keep me kind of playing golf. where Every shot is kind of a little bit different and you've got to really think about where you want to miss it. That should engage me a little bit. So we'll see. Yeah, it should be your sort of course. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, I know I said last thing a minute ago, but <clears throat> I'd almost forgotten this. You, you mentioned you did those little videos for the tour. I've got to say, they were... Phenomenal. Uh, when you have decided you've had enough, is there a TV future for perhaps Jeff Ogilvie? Will you go and replace Johnny Miller for us? Is that something you'd yeah. consider doing? Because I've got to tell you, you're a natural. Clayton and I commented on a couple of weeks ago. It was fantastic. You just you were terrific at it. TV something that might be in the future for Jeff Ogilvie? I'm not sure. I mean, Johnny would be a big seat to fill <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to critique golf golfers um have you been asked anybody shown any interest to this point uh there's there's been a few um inquiries as to when you're done what are you going to do kind of thing Mm -hmm. um 
We'll see. I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed doing the videos. They were fun. I thought because it, it was a subject that engaged me. Um, we know the kind of the brainchild behind this whole operation. The guy who kind of raised all the money and got Bill and Ben in and really wanted to do something significant in Dallas. And I know him pretty well, and I've got a pretty good relationship with him. And he kind of just asked me, "Hey, look, this is going to be a um, we want this to go as smooth as possible. And if we can get a few more guys to commit or a few guys to come in more with an open mind, would you mind doing a few videos? And I was, I kind of enjoyed doing it. It was kind of fun. And at a place like Trinity, it was so, this course is, it's relatively easy to show the, that, that kind of architectural side of things. Um, it was fun. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see at the moment. I'm just going to try to make a few birdies. Mm. We'll see what happens yeah, well, after that. I'm not suggesting by any stretch you're done playing because I think you've shown us enough in the last 12, 18 months. There's been enough good Jeff Ogilvy stuff to suggest that you're not done playing yet. I'm not suggesting that. But the game would be better off with Jeff Ogilvy as a commentator at some point, wouldn't it, Clates? Intelligent and insightful commentary on the game is important. Yeah, I always thought that it was a natural to walk into Johnny Miller's seat, but um, it'd be better for Jeff Ogilvy designing golf courses, really. That would be the... <laughs> Sorry, you were yet. We want, we want Jeff Ogilvy to turn to Ben Crenshaw and Mike Cocking to turn to Bill sure. Coran. 20 years' time, we'll be, they'll be bitching about our courses, hopefully. But, um, no TV, Jeff. You, yeah, look, you, can't, yeah. you can't get the time off from OCCM. The boss has already just put the kibosh on it. So. No, 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 <laughs> no. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Indeed. It's been fabulous to talk to you. I've got to say, Jeff, I cannot wait now to watch this time. I was interested before. If anybody else is interested, that short par four you were talking about, Clates, uh, Andy Johnson from the Fried Egg did a drone flyover with, I'm pretty sure, Bill Corr doing the commentary and talking about that. It was fantastic. It's on Jeff Shackelford's site, as are all your... Uh, videos there, Jeff, uh, that you did. They're on uh, the front page of Shackleford's site today, too. He couldn't join us today, unfortunately. He uh, had some golf channel duties, but uh, it's going to be fantastic to watch it unfold. Uh, thank you, as always, for taking the time, Jeff Ogilvy. been terrific to chat to you again. No worries. No worries. Uh, I'm glad I could. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, if anybody's you've done two other podcasts, I think, since the last time you were studying. You were on, on the mark. I never asked you about the swing and the playing the game, which we should because you're fascinating, and you were fantastic on that, and you were terrific with Andy on the fried egg as well, who I just gave a rap to. So if anybody hasn't listened to those two, uh, go and hunt them down. Jeff, uh, Jeff at his best was really good listening. Clates, thank you to you as always too. Great to get your thoughts, and great to hear Thanks, you mate. Ogilvy just going head to head there. That was wonderful stuff. So, hope the, And Andy uh, did a good one with... Um Gil Hans, his, his latest one's terrific. Yeah. It's a, it's a two, two part one, I think. Yeah. So there's some terrific. Yeah, if anyone wants there, to listen to, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, Andy's. Yeah, the one he did with Gil's terrific. I think the second one comes out. I'm not sure soon, but I listened to the first one the other day. It's great. Yeah, so. that uh, between him and Derek at Feed the Ball, there's some fantastic architecture content around there in the podcast arena. So uh, I'm running out of time to do other stuff because I spend all my time listening to podcasts. Uh, that wraps it up for State of the Game, episode 77, I think it was, 77 or 78. There's been a few anyway. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed producing. Look forward to your company again next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.